0: Welcome to Virtual School Assembly. I'm your host, Tyler Christensen. I'm a productivity speaker, author, and classroom teacher. Here at Virtual School Assembly, I interview Hollywood celebrities, professional athletes, Olympians, speakers, and educators who share messages of inspiration, education, and hope to better prepare you for an ever-changing and uncertain world. Thanks for joining us. Let's get started. Welcome back to Virtual School Assembly. Today, our
1: guest is Alex Goff. Alex made history at the Pyeongchang 2018, winning the bronze medal in the women's single event, Canada's first ever Olympic medal in the sport of luge. Two days later, she stood on the podium again with her teammates after winning the silver in the mixed team relay event. Alex is born and raised Calgarian and has been attending the University of Calgary. Oh, we'll talk about that because did you graduate? I did. Okay, so, so no longer, but she was in school for a long time, so we'll get into that. Uh, And Alex has been a full-time student while competing full-time on the World uh, Cup circuit. And so um, we'll get into that here in a minute. In 2018, she retired from luge and has been focused on her studies since then. Um, So Alex, you've done a lot in the last few years. Uh, Welcome to the show. It's
2: been a busy few years. Thank you. It's been great to be here.
1: Yeah. So um, obviously you know, have changed things for Canadian luge, but I, I think that started up way back in 2011, right? With the world cup.
2: Yeah. So in, even before that, we, um, Canada got the Olympic games for 2010, um, mm-hmm. in Vancouver. So as part of that, we wanted to really represent Canada and, and do the best we can. So there was a, a lot of changes within our program. Um, we got some extra funding, we got a new coach, we kind of changed the way we were training. Um, changed expectations of of how we performed. So started way back in Mm -hmm. 2007-ish when we got awarded the Games. But coming out of 2010, um, that's kind of a a different story, but we'll maybe talk about that a little bit. Um, But uh, really motivated to sort of showcase that, you know, all of that work went into really putting – not only myself, but the Canadian team on, on the map. And, and we were becoming a a bigger threat within the, say the, the luge uh, international um, world. And uh, yeah, so started out that season um, second race in, won a bronze medal and then about a year to the day from the Olympic games in Vancouver um, won my first ever world cup, Which was a huge accomplishment, um, not only for myself, but in the world of women's luge. Um, The German women had won every single World Cup for 105 World Cups, I think it was. Whoa. Um, That's over 13 years. Yeah. So it was a, um, it was big for me. It was huge for our, our sport and for our discipline. Um, and it, it really put us as Canadians and um, myself on the map, which is really cool. So, cool. yeah.
1: So, and, and we'll talk more about that in a minute, but before we get into that, we should understand you a little bit better. So, yeah, we know you were born uh, in Calgary, but tell yep. us a little bit about your childhood and how did you get into the luge in the first place?
2: Absolutely. So, born and raised in Calgary. Um, which is in the province of Alberta in Canada um, and grew up here. Um, really fortunate that, you know, my parents were really outdoorsy and active. So I um, learned to ski in the mountains and the Rockies as a little kid um, and started out kind of ski racing, but decided that I really just wanted to go ski powder rather than run gates. I wasn't very competitive as a child, um, so I just wanted to go have fun. Um, and then when I was 13, I had a chance to try luge. My mom signed me up for a camp at Sport, um, which is the Olympic Park from the 1988 Olympics. Um, and they still have all the facilities there. So I got to go try uh, luge. I tried ski jumping. We did a little cross-country skiing. We did some just, you know, basic athletic um, work to see if, you know, we were just kind of testing stuff to see if you had any potential. Um, and as a result of that, I got invited to come join the luge program and I thought it was super fun because it's like going down a water, a frozen water slide on a, you know, sled really fast. And, um, having grown up skiing, I already like speed. And this was something just a little different and a little bit, um, a little bit of a change. So really, it just started out as something fun that I did a few night, a few weeknights a week in the winter. And uh, my, my parents joked that I came home one night or one day of kind of a year or two into it and was like, so I'm gonna go to Salt Lake City and race in a Junior World Cup. And that's kind of where it all started.
1: Cool. So, when you first got in, then it sounds like you kind of gradually went in. You didn't go all in at once. Was it disruptive to your normal life and your normal schedule, or was it truly something you could just kind of do on the weekends?
2: It it was. It started out as just something that you know filled that after school activity uh, space for me during the winter time. Um, you know, we still went and skied on the, in the, on the weekends in the winter. And, um, as I kind of got into it a little bit more, we had a couple of weekends where we'd stay home and I'd be racing, but it was very, you know, uh, sort of non-interruptive to start out with. And then as I progressed and got better and, and committed to it a little bit more, um, it became more a part of, um, my life and started you know i started prioritizing it over other things because it's something i wanted to pursue
1: cool so this is perfect because this is what most kids experience right as you're trying new things out as a kid you're gonna see if you like it or not and as you get into it more it becomes a higher priority and then I think the the turning point for you, you just mentioned, is you decided to go to Salt Lake for this Junior World Cup. Was that kind of the turning point where you decided? Now I'm really serious about this.
2: It was it was kind of the start. It was that oh, like I could I could pursue this competitively and, um, you know, travel with us at that point Junior World Cup team. Um, mm-hmm. And we have a few Junior World Cups a year and a Junior World Championships um, where you travel to the United States and Canada, and then you'd also travel. Um, over to Europe, um, and, uh, race on a few of the tracks in Germany and Austria. Um, so from that point, I, uh, started to see this as like, uh, something I could pursue in that regard. And then, um, once I graduated high school, that was kind of the turning point where I decided I was going to commit to, um, pursuing sport rather than go to university. Um, I would, you know, try this sport career thing and and see how far I could take it and then go from there. Um, And it worked out. (laughs) Right.
1: So, so when you made that commitment, when you made that decision to go all in, what did that mean for your daily life as far as training and just other priorities? What are some of the things you had to sacrifice when you made that decision?
2: So, I mean, obviously I watched all of my friends who were not in sport go off to university and start there post-secondary, um, academic, uh, pursuits. And then, um, I also was, you know, had to commit to training. So, um, we, through the summer, we train, um, basically five days a week, twice a day, and then you're doing extra on the side for recovery and physiotherapy and, and maintaining all of that. And, you know, uh, the beauty of my sport is that it's a gravity sport. So, you know, eating a healthy diet is really important, but it wasn't a very strict diet, which was really nice. Um, So still get to kind of enjoy all those um, things, but you had to be um, diligent about making sure that you were, you know, doing all the things you needed to do to recover, which included nutrition. Um, But yeah, so you know, with training five days a week, often on the weekends, when normally you'd want to go out and um, go hiking, or uh, go mountain biking, or, you know, spend time with friends doing other activities, you might have to not do that, because you're tired, you need to recover, or it's just, you know, an activity that you have to make considerations for whether or not it's worth the risk. And, um, you know, you don't want to get injured doing something that's not within your sport
1: right now a lot of kids watching this are not real familiar with the luge because it's not one of those sports that everybody does right you kind of have to have a course and and the facilities for it so we'll we'll put some shots um at the beginning when when we have the intro of what the luge is and things like that but go ahead and tell the kids a little bit about the sport and maybe something that you wouldn't know just as a casual viewer about the technique or something that you do uh, as the training process or anything like that? What's something that we wouldn't know about the luge?
2: Um, So there's, there's three sliding sports. There's bobsleigh, luge, and skeleton. Um, And luge is actually the sport where you have the most control over the sled going down the track. Um, So the, the whole sled flexes like this. So um, the runners, you're able to, steer the sled. Um, and basically you're in a four foot wide track and I could move from the left side of the track to the right side in a like straight section, just simply by pulling a handle. Um, and so from the finesse of pulling a handle to making a large steer within a corner, um, that's how much sort of drivability there is in a, in a loose sled. Um, so the, the way you want to steer corners is that they're not perfectly the same radius all the time. Um, and so the, the radius is sort of how the corner is shaped. Um, and so uh, that, that changes throughout a corner. So you want to take the tighter sections where you have more pressure um, or G forces and use that pressure steer through it. So that you carry those G forces through the corner and you have a really smooth line. Um, and that's the, sort of how you build speed and, and maintain speed through through the track and um, go as fast as possible down.
1: Cool. Um, I, I love hearing you talk about it because you're you're talking about the lime and the stuff. I mean, it's a different language from what it I is- speak, but, but the luge is a different sport. And so um, it's cool to kind of hear some of that. Now, uh, you broke some barriers as far as putting Canada on the map with Luge, um, but you weren't alone in that. And I know as we connected, we talked about kind of the role of teamwork in what you've been able to accomplish. Uh, I'd like for you, if, if you wouldn't mind to elaborate on the the role of your team as you've pursued both individual events, but then also obviously with the relay and things like that, what has been the role of team for you?
2: So, I mean, you think of Luge and you think it's an individual sport. Um, you're one person um, or if you're, on a double team, you're two people, but, um, that's, that's an individual event. Um, and however, when we're training and traveling and competing, we travel and train together as a team. So all of team Canada, um, we train together in the summer. We have a centralized program. So everybody's you know in the gym together. Um, and then we travel to all of our different races together. And then we, um, you know, support each other in competition. So, um, on top of that, we have, you know, our coaching staff and support staff that, you know, help us train in the gym or provide physiotherapy, um, or just help manage our travel schedules. Um, so that whole group is, is the team and they are such a critical part of being able to succeed in my sport. And it's, um, you know, I wouldn't have gotten where I got to without having an incredible team with me. And that that's everyone from the coaching staff to the support staff to my teammates and particularly like my other female teammates. Um, you think we're, you know, we're competing against each other in each race, but we're also each other's best source of support and uh, sort of collaboration uh, to be the best we possibly could be um, by having discussions about the line on the track or how things are going, or if something's not working, you asking your teammates, Hey, this isn't working. How are you doing it? And trying to figure that out. Um, and by doing that, not only do I get to be better, but they get to be better too. And if we keep feeding off one another, we are able to collectively be more successful.
1: Right. All right, so starting back in 2011 uh, and then through 2018, um, you did co- competition on a, the international stage and at a very high level. Um, during that time, did you have the same teammates? Did you have people that you went through different competitions with, or was it always like an evolving door of new people coming in?
2: No, so it's, it's um, uh, even within the Canadian team, it's quite a small um, community and a small group of people, and then even internationally. Um, so, as I came up and I started racing on the Junior World Cup circuit um, mm-hmm. at 16, 17, and 18 years old, um, mm-hmm. I competed against the same people that I competed against in 2018. A lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we get some turnover and some people would retire, and um, but yeah. So it's it's a small community and internationally and then it's smaller within our, our national group so when I first made the senior national team in 2005 um I had uh two teammates I think or no one teammate that competed in 2005 and 6 with me um mm-hmm. who was who I was still competing with in 2018 um and the team that we had in 2010-11 um we uh there were four of us that were all together for, for the subsequent um, eight years.
1: Right. Wow. So, so when you talked about, you know, really being a support for each other, I mean, this is a group that you kind of grew up with and, and they were, if they weren't close friends, you still had to be around them all the time anyways. So.
2: They're like a second family. So, you know, how you don't always love like your family, but you're, you're. Right you know you love those guys and you support them through everything um very similar situation where you know we get on each other's nerves we travel for 10 to 12 weeks at a time together so um mm-hmm. eventually you learn when people need some space and when you need to like help them out and um you know and then just sort of travel and train together and it feels a lot like family
1: right so I think this is important, and I want to dig into this for a minute because most of us are never going to be in the Olympics, right? Most of us will never ride the luge even. Um, But all of us will work with other people. We'll have either roommates or we'll have families that we have to get along with. And you kind of got thrown into this where, you know, traveling 10, 12 weeks, that's a lot more than most people your age are spending with the same group of people. Um, so what are some of the lessons that you learned in doing that as far as just get getting along? You already talked about how you support each other. But how did you, I mean, before that, how do you get along when, you know, someone wants to wash the dishes and someone else doesn't, or, you know, the things that come up when you travel and spend a lot of time with each other, what are some of those lessons that you learned early on?
2: Um, I think it's really important to like, number one is just communicate. Like if you have an issue say with um, a teammate or a peer or even more importantly with someone who's potentially like a a coach or, um, you know, maybe slightly authority figure. Mm -hmm. Um, then it's just about communicating. It's about saying, Hey, this is my problem. Can we talk about it and sort out what, um, what the most appropriate solution is? Um, you know, I had more than my share of, you know, butting heads with coaches or butting heads with teammates, but it's, it's all about, um, saying, you know, sorry, let's figure this out and, and move forward. Um, You know, no hard feelings, everybody moves, moves on and you maintain that sort of um, really positive and supportive uh, dynamic and atmosphere. Um, And through that, you're able to feel like, you know, even when you do mess up or have a bad day, or you're just grumpy, um, people are going to forgive you for it and you'll be able to just carry on and move forward. And And you have to be able to, you know, do the same for the other people. So, you know, someone's having a bad day and being, you know, kind of grudgy with you. You just are like, okay, take your time, have your day and, and we'll come back tomorrow. And, and just kind of communicating and being forgiving are such a big part of it that, um, and then just supporting people when they're having a, a rough go. So
1: right. that's,
2: that's sort of how the, the big ones for us.
1: Yeah. That's great advice. I, you know, that's one of those things that when I was a kid and through high school, I just didn't think about that, that I'd need to learn how to communicate with people and be nice when people were having bad days. And even now we're watching that um, reality show, the amazing race where they travel around the world with a partner and you see how, when you're traveling, when you spend a ton of time with one person, it gets harder. It's, you have to learn to communicate. You have to be able to, let things go and and show grace so
2: um particularly when it's a stressful situation so you put people together and then you put add the stress in of of a competition or um same with us of of competing and and depending on the level of competition it's um yeah you just have to be able to sort of be a bit you know let things go um and and then support the people around you
1: yeah. Now, before you had your competitive team, you had your family team, right? As you were getting into the, the sport and, and obviously, especially at a young age, that family uh, unit is really important as far as support goes. Um, what role has your family had as you've moved forward into, more one, being more independent yourself, uh, but then, two, as you've been competitive and traveled around the world? What, how has your family been supportive for you?
2: My family has been super supportive. I mean, I'm so fortunate that, um, you know, they didn't push me to do something I didn't want to do. They were always checking in like, Hey, are you happy? Like, are you, you know, is this what you want to do? But, um, once they were sure that I was, you know, doing something I loved and, and pursuing, uh, you know, goals and dreams of my own, then they were behind me a hundred percent and totally supportive. And, um, you know, again, like, without my team, I wouldn't have made it where I was without my family, I wouldn't have been where I was, I wouldn't have gotten into the sport. And then I wouldn't have been able to, to manage to um, navigate and, and figure out how to do that as a career for 10 years or 12 years. Um, So I'm incredibly grateful to them. And, uh, you know, I'm still like, we're super close. So I spend a lot of time with my, my parents and siblings. And um, they're, uh, they're a huge part of um, my being able to be successful.
1: Cool. That's great. Yeah. They're still part of your team, which is really cool. Um, so I want to talk about college now for a bit, because as you, you mentioned you were in college for a while, uh, because Mm -hmm. one, you delayed going in the first, uh, part because of your competition. Uh, but then it's hard juggling full-time athletics with full-time school and, and things like that. So now you're finally through. Um, <laughs> congratulations first uh, that's fantastic when you when you went to university what were some of those challenges that you faced right away um, that maybe you weren't expecting or you know what made that transition into university life difficult for you
2: so I probably made it more difficult Um, but it didn't seem like it at the time. So I went back to school after the 2014 Olympics. Um, I wanted to continue to compete and go to another Olympics in 2018, but I also knew that I probably would want to retire from sport after 2018, and I didn't really want to be starting as a freshman at, like, 30 (laughs) 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 and have four years of school um, coming out of that. So after 2014, I felt like I was in a position where I could – Um, scale back a little bit on the competition, like competing and traveling um, and um, go to university um, and get some of my schooling out of the way. I'd taken a few courses, like a spring course here and there, and Mm -hmm. um, had decided I wanted to get into engineering. So um, I enrolled in the fall of 2014 at the University of Calgary in their engineering program, which is not a distance learning program. Um, it is a in-class full-time, um, university program. Um, but I was able to communicate with the faculty and with my sport organization and say, this is what I want to do. And this is, you know, my goal is to have two years completed, um, before the year of the 2018 Olympics. Um, I had a few courses that would transfer in, so I didn't have quite all of my like, um, first year courses to take. So I was able to take sort of three courses a semester and tailor my traveling and competition schedule to make sure that I would be back in Calgary to basically write exams. Um, and then I talked to all my profs. So communication again was a huge part of it Mm -hmm. and planning and then time management. Um, so just planning when I had to be in in Calgary and then, um, planning with the profs, you know, what are the things that I need to learn on my own? What's going to get posted online um and what am I gonna have to get from classmates. So I had to go in for a few days um for the first like month or so and make a few friends really quickly so that I had people that would send me notes. Right. Uh, and then um yeah just really manage my time well while I was traveling. So um you know instead of resting and relaxing and watching something on Netflix I'd have to read a textbook or something um or complete an assignment. Um, but Uh, I was able to do that and so going into 20 the 2018 games I only had two years remaining for my degree um and then so I spent the two years since then um diving right into school and being there full-time and finishing off my school which was um kind of the best plan I think I could have come up with it was a nice buffer of leaving sport and jumping into something else and having a plan um and then giving me time to figure out what I um if engineering was what I wanted to pursue, leaving sport, or if I wanted to go a different direction. um, Right now, I'm still definitely looking at pursuing engineering. Um, That being said, I'm job job searching. So we'll see how that goes. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Well, what I love about your story, so I I was a professor for 10 years, and and my own educational uh, career went for a long time because I had to get a bunch of degrees before Mm -hmm. I became a professor. So I was in school for a long time, But one of the things that I saw from the professor side of things is too many students don't have a plan when they go to college, they're there and they'll change their major seven times. They'll be there for 12 years. And when they finish, they still don't know what they want to be when they grow up. You know, uh, what I love about your story is you had a plan and then you involved people in your plan so they could work with you. And that's what kids need to be thinking as they move forward. It's keep moving forward, have a plan, Mm -hmm. stick to it as best you can uh but then things seem to work out in the end as long as you're moving forward and i'm sure you'll see the same as you move forward with your job search and think about a a future in engineering or something else as long as you're working towards something things seem to work out okay in the end
2: yeah and i think i found that you know um sport is a um teaches you so much about setting goals and pursuing those goals and committing to them. So, um, I found it was, um, very easy for me to be like, okay, I've committed these two years. I'm going to finish this degree and, um, pursue this. And if it turns out that's not what I want to do, then I I can make a change, but at least I've, I've started this. I'm going to finish it because then I've, I've accomplished what I set out to accomplish. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, Will never, you know, not serve me well to 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 have this completed degree rather than keep switching and and, and not um, not quite get there. Um, that being said, had I like absolutely hated it, I I would also have switched. But if right. um, I was lucky enough to have the time after university, um, I think sport gave me that like buffer of being like, you know, coming out of high school being like, eh, I don't really think I want to do engineering, to being like maybe that is what I want to do. I like math and physics and how things work. And, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, and it's practical. I've, you know, I I looked at it as, you know, I'm going to come out of this and I'm going to be a little bit older. And um, I don't know how much it works down in the States as much, but, you know, up here, up here in Canada, you can get a four year bachelor's degree in engineering and go into a career and, and work rather than, you know, looking at, having to do a master's degree or pursue further education, just, you know, thinking about the like practicality of that.
1: Yeah, no, that's fantastic. Well, Alex, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show today to hear a little bit about your journey and your story, but I've especially enjoyed hearing the role of team uh, in what you've done and and, uh, excited to see what you accomplished moving forward. Uh, If kids want to follow you or connect with you on on social media or anything like that, is there a best place for them to go uh, online?
2: Um, I probably on Instagram. Um, it's okay. agoff87. Um, it's a private account. but send me a message. Um, I'm happy to connect with anyone who's interested.
1: Cool. Very good. Well, thank you so
0: much for being on the show today.
2: Thanks. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today on Virtual School Assembly. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever else you listen to Virtual Assemblies. And leave us a rating and review so we know what you learned and took away from this virtual assembly. Videos and show notes are found at virtualschoolassembly.com. And if you're a school leader and you're looking for a speaker for virtual or traditional in-school assemblies, or if you're looking for some teacher training, I'd love to connect with you to see how I can help. You can check out my website at tylerchristiansen.com. Thanks. You are super duper. Let's go out and make the world a better place. Bye-bye.